You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Meaning in life is one of the ways that you know and that we could tell that God created us differently than everything else in the universe. Because here's why I know that. I can assure you that clouds and stars and wolverines and peacocks and manatees and bison and mosquitoes, they are not sitting back at the end of a long day of eating grass and sucking people's blood out of their body or floating up in the sky. They're not looking back and thinking to themselves, wonder what all this means. Like, really, what does it mean? Like, what's my purpose in life, fellow bison? Like, what is my purpose? No, of course they don't do that. Only humans are the ones that wrestle with meaning because they were imprinted by the image of God. We are the apex of creation, where we are made in his image for, on purpose for a purpose. And Paul would so beautifully tell us this in Ecclesiastes, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where he says, we, for we, that's us, we are created, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So it is good to look for the meaning that God has woven, wired into our lives. And and as we try to find this meaning, we will look in all kinds of different places for it. But the key question is, what is the right place to find the meaning that God has for me? So in week one, what we did of the series is that we said, let's start by looking inside ourselves. Maybe meaning is found in ourselves. But what we quickly found is that we can't look deep within ourselves because when we try to find meaning inside ourselves, we will find just how broken we are, how flawed we are. So we need something outside of ourselves to be able to determine where our meaning is found. It's outside of ourselves. So in week two, we said, okay, some things that are outside ourselves is actually our stuff are things that people will look to their things for their their source of meaning. And that's where the author of Ecclesiastes, who's King Solomon, by the way, he he tried to find his meaning in his stuff. And he tried to buy it by looking through, by saying, okay, what if I had all the money, all the power, all the houses, all the wild living, all the women, all the, he denied himself nothing, the scripture tells us. He says, what if I tried all of that? But in the end of it, he said that all of his stuff was meaningless. It could not and would not bring in the meaning that he so deeply desired within himself. He just could not find it, which is why we ultimately came to this conclusion last week that we said that we could try to have everything this world offers, but we'll miss the greatest gift ever given to the world when we do that. So we could try to have everything, but we actually will miss out on everything, which is Jesus Christ. So if stuff cannot bring us meaning, then perhaps something else can Maybe there's something else that's out there, and that's why we turn our attention today to something that is a different way that we find meaning in our life, that all of us really, in one form or fashion, search for meaning, and that's in our work, in our work. So if you have your Bibles with you, your Crossroads Grace apps, I'd love for you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we're going to be there in just a moment, so Crossroads Online, they're going to put that uh, chat in there right now, the link to that, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Would love for you to join me there right now as we look at work and our meaning. But I do think it's kind of funny that we take time to look at work right now, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're going to discuss this a little bit more in November, a little bit more in detail, but 
I'll be honest with you, it's, it's fascinating that there's more help wanted signs in Windows than there are advertisements for the, the business themselves, right? I mean, there are, there are opportunities to work like never before, yet so many people are choosing just not to, and it's starting to affect our economy. When I was in Florida a couple of weeks ago, there was a story that said that the Naples, Florida uh, airport had to completely shut down, completely shut down, because they didn't have enough people to work the airport. The airport. Are you kidding me? What is going on? So, so, so while right now work might not seem to be a big deal, I just am here today to tell you that the work is still a great deal. It carries a great deal of meaning to people. It, it, it defines their meaning in a lot of ways. And what we do will always affect how we think of ourselves. It, it, it just will. And, and listen to me, before I, before I go any further and kind of get any far down, down, the, down the road, the point of this week's message is not for you to stop working tomorrow, okay? It's, it's not for you to hate your job. It's not for you to go on your boss and say, hey, I'm sorry, my pastor told me I had to quit. Like, here's the deal, okay? Like, I don't want that email. I got enough emails on my own, okay? No, the point, the point is that I want us to see work through different lenses, I want us to look at it through different lenses. And, and I'll just for, for, I'll give you an example of myself. Guys, you just need to know this about me. I actually love what I do. Like, love it. I love being a pastor. I hope it comes through at least a little bit because I just love it so much. It's hard for me to even call it a job because I find just so much joy in doing what I get to do most times, right? I just love what I do. But I'll be honest. If I'm honest with you, I've oftentimes allowed my work to define who I am. And this will just be a little bit vulnerable with you today, but I just need you to know this is true about me. This is just true about me. And here's just one example of how that plays out in my life in just kind of some, some weird ways. I will say that it always hurts when somebody leaves the church. It always hurts, especially during COVID. You see people going to different churches and all this different stuff. It, it just hurts, okay? But I'll tell you when it hurts the most is when I see people outside of the church that left, and all of a sudden I'll, bounce, I'll, I'll bump into them around town or someplace else, and instead of, of them calling me Pastor Brian, as they always did before, they just call me Brian. Now, now I, I know that that's shallow and it's all that stuff. Like, I, I just get it. I just, I'm just telling you that it, I've realized recently that really it has started to affect me. And I had to check myself a few times as I felt this deep hurt and deep frustration start to well up inside me, like way, way inside. And, and as that happened, I had to kind of wrestle with some things. Because I started to think things in those moments. I started to think... Well, just because you don't go to my church anymore or this church be good, you don't no longer think I'm a pastor, right? Is that the deal? You don't respect me even a little bit? I know, I know, I know. And I started to get really frustrated. I even started to resent those people in this moment. Like, it just, it's real. But, but I found that in those moments, I really need a reality check to, to realize how close my job and ministry has grafted themselves into my identity. I have to be really careful that just because I've been given the honor to be a pastor by God, that I, I have to make sure that somehow that I don't think that that is all that I am. That without the title, that somehow I've lost my identity. And, and that might be too real. But that's all right. But again, it's just for me. But God has a way, and maybe has a way in your life too, of kind of shaking me loose, like shaking, shaking things loose. I think it happens all the time. Maybe it's happened to you before, but I know that he's done that to me, especially in this little area that I'm speaking of. And the way that he did that to me was actually recently when the church kind of first closed around the COVID time of, of times, and it was really tough, like really, really tough. Everybody on staff was, nobody was immune to it. It affected everybody because overnight everything changed. We had to adapt. We had to adjust to things at a moment's notice. It was, it was difficult, really difficult. But I remember when God shook me. 
he got a hold of me the loudest in that time. And it actually was when I was standing on this very stage in almost this very same spot. And it was when I was in front of an empty auditorium with no one in the seats and only the camera staring back at me. And it was then that I felt God asking me this question. And the question was, would you still want to do it if these seats were never filled again? Would you still want to do it? if these seats were never filled again. He was asking me the gut-level reason why I was doing what I was doing. He asked me that. And it was as if God was, was asking me about my true call. Did I want to be a pastor for the applause of men and women and, and attaboys on the back, or did, did I want to be a pastor because he called me to do it, regardless of what it meant? And that was the moment where I knew my calling was from God to be a pastor, and it wasn't about a title that it was about a way of life for me, and I embraced that. But I just need to be honest with you because I say all of that stuff so that you know that I wrestle with the very same things that you do. I, I wrestle with trying to find my meaning in my work just as much as just any, anybody else. And, and I know that we all struggle with this from time to time. I, I know that we have because, frankly, work is a broad umbrella that covers a lot of different things. So, so, for instance, you could be a, a mom who sees their job as a stay-at-home mom to take care of your kids, and right now, you don't know what's going to happen when those kids leave. You're not sure about your identity when they leave. It could be the man that hasn't worked for a few months, and you are starting to feel like you are lost and that you're worthless. You might be the CEO of a company, and just because she's made it and you've made it, that all of a sudden, just because you have everything you've ever wanted, that you're above society, the rules don't apply to you, and so you just have your meaning and whatever your title is. It could be any number of things where we have the tendency to pull our work a little bit too close to us and base our identity off of what we do. And because of that, we have to be careful. Be really careful. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to give you the one idea that I want you to wrestle with this entire message today. I want to give it to you up front, and I want you to really chew on this today as we go throughout it. And, and here's, here's what it is when we come to our meaning. Work was meant for you, not to define you. Okay? Work was meant for you, not to define you. And let me show you what this means and how this plays out. I want to be very clear. I want to be very clear. God created us to work. All right? All right don't, don't be fooled. He, he never created us that to, uh, to sit around and play Fortnite and eat frozen pizzas and Hot Pockets and, and complain about the economy and, like, just, you know, wait until Jesus comes back. You know, no, 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 no. That wasn't the option God gave us. If you're doing that right now, stop it. Okay, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. From the very beginning of creation, work was part of the deal. Genesis 2.15 tells us, it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This means that work was meant for you. And, and, and I know that some of us have unique challenges when it comes to work. Maybe the reasons you can't work or aren't working right now, I, to I totally get that, but I want you to hear me. God has given us all gifts and abilities, and talents, regardless of what we're going through, and we're, we are commanded to do something with them. Commanded to do something with them. Gang, this is why I tell you every week, tag your it. That's why every pastor, everything you hear is tag your it every week. We are asking you to go and do something with God has called you to do, that maybe you've learned today, or learned in the message, or whatever, but go and do that. Go, go and do that. that. And that includes, guys, going to work, okay? That, that, tag your it, go to work, get a J-O-B, go to work, Okay? And, and, and before you think Solomon is going to be anti-work and all that stuff, I want you to listen to Proverbs 12.11. Proverbs 12.11 says this. 
Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. That's, that's true to Tome right there, I'll tell you. I know a lot of people, you know a lot of people chasing fantasies, right? Chasing fantasies instead of getting out of their bed and going to work like you need to go to work. But, but here's the deal. It's a fine line. It's a fine line when it comes to our work and how much meaning we gain from our work. It's a, it's a very fine line. Remember the idea that we're trying to wrap our heads around today, this one idea that work was meant for you. It's not to define you. It's meant for you. It's not to define you. And yes, work is necessary, and it is good for us to do, but how do we keep it from defining us? Or, or better yet, how do I know if it is defining us? Well, well this is where we can turn to Solomon. Solomon's so good. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 today, we're going to find out a little bit more about that. And as we do, I want us to see that Solomon is going to show us what can happen if we allow our work to define our meaning more than it ought to. We're going to see this. We're going to see this. In fact, I want you to consider there's actually four things we'll look at today. Four signs, actually, four signs that our work is defining us. Four signs our work is defining us. And, and so we just need to make sure that there's, it's, it's, if, if we're careful, we can naturally see these starting to come out in our lives. We can start to see them. And, and, and when we see them, we can realize that we've put work in a position it was never meant to be. So just be very careful. So let's begin. Verse 17, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Let's see what Solomon would tell us. In verse 17, he says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. So right there, we get to, to see the first sign that our work might be defining us, that we're getting too much meaning out of our work. Number one is this, that we'll see, is that we lose passion for life. We lose passion for life. Although our work should not define us, it does affect us. Think about that. One of the reasons that it is such a big deal, it, it, that it affects us, is that it's a huge deal. It's a huge part of our life. Did you know that the average person will work 90,000 hours in their lifetime? 90,000, that's a significant amount of time. That's about 10 years worth of your life and my life that we'll invest in our work over our lifetime. So to ignore that type of investment into our life would just be crazy. We'd be completely foolish to do that. But, but here's where we have to be really careful. Have to be really careful. The way that we lose, listen, the way that we lose passion for life is when our work becomes our life and not a part of our life. Let me say that one more time so you can kind of catch that. We lose passion for life when our work becomes our life and not a part of our life. Again, work is not a bad thing. It's a, a God-ordained thing. But, it was, but when we see it as the meaning in our life, we've lost sight of the purpose of it in our life. If our work becomes our life, we all of a sudden are personally connected to it in a way that will affect us differently. Let me give you some examples. Tell me this isn't true. If you've got a great boss, your life is great, isn't it? You love, you come home, everything's great. Your boss is terrible to you at work. Your life is terrible at, at home sometimes, isn't it? If you're the top salesperson of the year, life is amazing, everything is good, you feel great, you, have about, you, you love who you are, your sales start to dip, your job is in jeopardy, all of a sudden your life stinks, you get stressed out, you're freaking out. If you don't have a job, you feel again like you're worthless, your life is worthless, it's completely terrible. You get the job of your dreams, you feel like your life is perfect, finally I've arrived. Can you see this roller coaster that our lives go on with our jobs ebb and flow all the time? When our life's meaning is dependent on our work, we're on a roller coaster. So, 
Ecclesiastes 2.17. That's exactly why we see Solomon say these, these words, these strong words. It's why he says, I hate my life. Because I hate my life. It's because work was never supposed to be our life. That's why he hates his life. Paul would give us a completely different way of looking at this in, in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Colossians 3.1, he says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Check it out. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Pay attention. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When we make Christ our life, we're able to place our job in the right context so it doesn't leave us with those feelings of resentment towards ourself or our job or our life. Because once Christ is our life, right, when he is our life, everything that we do, it, we see ourselves through those lenses. We see that through the reality that I'm born into the reality that I am Christ, and so everything else comes out of that. Nothing else matters except for what Jesus says. So the first thing that we see is the first sign that you're going to see is that you're going to lose passion for life when your job defines you. Now, the second sign that, you're, that, that you're, you're, your job might be defining you is found in verse 18. First part says, I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun. He says, I hated all things that I toiled for under the sun. So, so Solomon says, yet again, that he hates everything. He hates everything that he toiled for. It means everything he worked for under the sun. That's everything. In this case, the work itself became the object of his affection and is what ultimately caused him to not find meaning anymore. So, so how do we know if this is happening to us? How do we know if this is happening? Well, it's number two. It tells us that our work becomes work. Our work becomes work. Ever heard that, that, that phrase? It says, find a job that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Ever heard that before? Online, you ever heard that before, right? Seems so nice. Seems so pithy and nice. It says, oh, Beautiful, right? But I'll tell you what, these past 18 months, they have stretched the, the validity of that phrase to the max, you know? The past months have required us to do work differently and work harder in our jobs in ways we never thought we'd ever have to in, in our life. We never thought it would ever be possible we'd do that. I had lunch with somebody that's in education recently, um, and I just listened. I felt their pain. I mean, I felt their pain. Because when you consider that instead of doing education things, that they're now asked to be, I don't know, professional epidemiologists, contact tracing experts, public health liaisons, mental health experts, politicians, I mean, 45 other different things that they never went to school for. I mean, you know, and the saddest part is that they're dealing with all that garbage. The whole education part is so far down the list that it's hard not to hate your job as a result of it. Right? And my guess is that every person in here can probably say amen to that, that right now you feel the same way about your job too, that you may actually hate what you do because of how it's changed. And you're fed up, right? You're just fed up with the whole thing. I mean, and you start to realize, you're like, like they are giving out signing bonuses at in and out right now, okay? So, and I'm still doing this thing? Like, I'll flip some burgers for Jesus? Like, you know, give me those Jesus fries, I like that machine anyway when they do that thing. It's kind of cool, you know, right? You start thinking that way. But check this out. What if, just crazy, what if we took a new perspective on what work did for us or, or how we did our job? What if, what if, what if we wrapped our heads around this idea? Check this out. What if we wrapped our heads around this? The job you have right now 
is exactly where God wants you right now. Oh, that wasn't fair, PB. I know, I know. What if the job you have right now is exactly where God wants you right now? The task that you're doing is exactly the task that God wants you to be doing. The people you're working with are the exact people God wants you to be working with right now. Why? Why? Because, because what if, what if work was a place for God to use us to impact the lives of others more than getting a paycheck? What, what, what if? What right if, right? Right. Like, what if we use the 90,000 hours that we are going to work in our lifetime to demonstrate Jesus to other people? What if at the end of our life, we look back and God was more concerned about how we treated others when we were given the opportunity than how much money was in our bank account? Like, just what if? Listen, work is, becomes work when we don't see the stronger why behind what we're doing. That's when work becomes work. If we see our jobs as moments to be Jesus to other people, we will never work the same again. Never. So that's the, the second thing, right? The second thing is that when work becomes work, that's when your meaning is found in your work. But the third thing is, is we, we find out, because Solomon's not finished, he, has this, he continues with this analysis of work. We, finish, we see it as he finishes verse 18. He says, he says, I hated all things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil in which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. He goes on in verse 21, if you jump there. He says, For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. So Solomon takes a look at the financial legacy that is left from all of his, from his lifetime of work. And, and this might not be something that you've ever really thought about or considered about or thought about before because very rarely do we outwardly put these two things together. We really don't outwardly. Solomon is frustrated with thinking that his hard-earned wealth will be going to people that he doesn't trust after he's gone. Like, here it is. So, so, so therein lies, actually, deep within there, that lies the third sign that your work might be defining you. And I'll sum it up this way. You say that no one works as hard as us. No one works as hard as us. Now, now I, I realize that, 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 that none of us will ever have the, the major responsibility of setting up a trust for trillions of dollars like Solomon had to. I, I understand that. Uh, but, but here's the deal. Like, I, I do know that we've had to wrestle with some things. And I do know that when Solomon was wrestling with this whole trust thing and giving it to his kids, he realized that this was going to be hard because his kids weren't ready. He, he had thought to himself, you know what? I have worked so hard to earn all this money my whole lifetime, even though God gave him it all and he knew it deep down. Solomon realizes that when he's gone, his kids are gonna, not going to be prepared for the type of wealth that they're going to be given, the responsibility that's going to be coming with this trillions of dollars with that type of wealth. They didn't have to work for it, and, and it was just going to be handed to him. Now, personally, I'd like the challenge, you know, if anybody's willing to, right? right? Just going to give it to him. And guess what? He was right. His kids were brutal. They were a hot mess. Let's just say the whole wisdom gene did not get passed down to his offspring at all. Like, it didn't. It did not work, okay? They made a mess of it all. They made a mess of it all. And not just because of the money, though. The bigger thing is, is because they just went their own way. They decided, I'm not going to follow God anymore. They just decided to do their own thing. And so they made a mess of everything. They forgot God altogether. They didn't care. 
But in a broader sense, what Solomon was really saying is that he didn't think that anyone was good enough to get his wealth. He didn't, he didn't trust anyone. He didn't think anyone worked as hard as he did. <laughs> and you and I both know this is true about us too. It's true about us too. You tell me you haven't said things like this. <clears throat> this place would fall apart without me, right? You said that? You said that today in some places, you know? You said this before. They'd have to hire five people to replace me. <sighs> right? You know? My kids never worked a day in their life as hard as I do. I'd be darned if they're going to get all my health and all my wealth when I get out of here. Right? You, you've said that before. We've created this false reality that says that our work needs us more than we need our work. Right? They're lucky to have me. Right? You know, we think we're doing them a favor by working for them. Right? Well, thank you so much for coming to work. Right? But check it out. Here, here, here is all lies. Here's the truth. Your company will continue on without you just fine. Okay? All right? Right? Your, your position, um, it will be filled after they give you your watch or your plaque or your kick in the butt. Like, whatever they do, like, like they are, the next day, they'll wipe it down with some Clorox wipes because, you know, Rona. They'll make sure it's wiped down. But there's going to be a warm booty in that seat the next day. Okay? Just, just let you know. You should also know this, all of your possessions, all of your money, all the things you toiled for under the sun when you leave, it's going to stay here. It'll stay here. So, so when we start to see ourselves as, as the only competent, only worthy person to inherit the money that we've been given, or that we're the only ones that really know how to work and do the job right, we have lost sight of the true meaning of what it's all about. So when we think that it's all about us, We've lost sight of meaning. There is a fourth one, though. Fourth one that Solomon gives us, um, this idea of when you assign that you have, you're being defined by your work, and it starts in verse 20, actually. Verse 20 would tell us this. It says, so, so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. Jump to the next verse. He would go on to say, what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. So here we find the fourth side effect, the fourth sign that you are finding meaning in your work, and it's this, is that we become anxious about everything. Go back to Ecclesiastes 22. We get to see an interesting word here. He says, what do people get for all their toil and Anxious striving. Now, anxious is an interesting word in the Hebrew language. It's, the word, it's a three-letter word. It's lib. Lib. Lib is used three times in the Old Testament. But there's some very powerful things. It, it creates a huge impact when you, it's hard to fathom until you actually unpack it. Lib, what it can mean, it can mean to steal or to enchant the heart. To steal or to enchant the heart. So check this out. Solomon is saying right here is that if we're not careful, we can allow our work to steal and enchant us. It can create this false sense of reality that makes us think that we are what we do instead of being God's beloved sons and daughters who just happen to do a certain type of work. Can you see the difference? It's lib, it's stealing, it's enchanting us. But, 
But, but David, Solomon's dad, actually gives us a great response, a different way of looking at this enchanting feeling of anxiety that wells up inside us. Psalm 94, such a great verse, it says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Guys, we, we find this when we're not defined by our job, but by God's joy. Not by our job, but by God's joy. And when we get this into the very pores of who we are, into our souls, we start to really live. For the first time, we actually live. And then, only then can we understand what Paul tells us in Colossians 3.17. Paul would tell us this. He would say, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's, it's this type of, 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 of centered focus on God that allows us to work with a different perspective on our life. We start to realize that our meaning is not found in what we do, but in who we know. However, if we choose to allow ourselves to be, to be identified by our work, Solomon says he knows firsthand what this leads to. Leads to. In, in, in chapter 2, verse 11, if you jump up, he says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So I wanted to try to give a way for us to kind of understand what Solomon just said there. And so I, I thought of this illustration, but when I was doing this illustration, I didn't realize that um, I had not taught my kids how to make a, a card house. Have you ever, ever made a card house before, you know? It's like where you have to like, like precariously balance a couple of cards, you know? I feel like a bad dad as a result of this, so you could pray for me. I'm sorry about that. But, but right, basically, you know, you just have to, like, you have to balance these suckers just perfectly, just perfectly. Nobody breathe, okay? A lot of, a lot of hot air in this room, right? mainly from me. It's okay, right? And then, of course, you, oh, you little stinker. All right, where were we? Okay, right? So you've got this idea, right? So, and that's just how it goes, right? Take some time. You've got to balance these things. You've got to make it, you, you little, stay. Rodney, it's not that fun. All right, it's not that fun. Okay, all right, here we go. All right, we're going to get it. 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 It's not easy, right? There's a sermon in there. There's a sermon in there, okay? Okay, you can encourage me, though. Yeah, I love it, right? Right? Moment of truth. Oh, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Easy, easy, easy. We got one more layer. We got one more layer, right? We got one more layer. Take some time. Take some time. Take some time. We got it. Okay, easy. Right? So, so um, I realized that I hadn't done that with my kids, and I totally want to do it. And, of course, you can look on YouTube, and they can make them the size of, like, the Eiffel Tower, whatever. Okay, doesn't matter, okay? That's what I can do right there. But, but what's interesting, you saw, like, it... it <laughs> Take some time. You got to kind of build it. You got to take your time. And it's, it's, you know, whew, right? So, so when I was thinking about this, here's the deal. I think a lot of us build our life based on our job just like that, okay? So maybe we start off in our career, and all of a sudden we, we put a little TP together. And we're like, okay, okay, great, okay. But then if I start building, right, if you slowly, maybe you go to school to add a degree, some letters to the end of your name, you start to build a little bit more, 
and then maybe you get a, another layer of a job and, or you go up in your job and so you get another platform and then you're like, oh, well, I could keep climbing that ladder and so you keep building and building and building, right? You just keep going and going and going and, and what you do is you look and you're like, man, that looks really cool. It's got some architecture feel to it. You know, it's like really fun and really awesome and I work really hard to be able to make that work and really, really hard. But, but here, here's the thing. You know this and I know this. That this is very, very Fragile, isn't it? And, and when you build your life and you build your life on your job, isn't it interesting when that, that, that new person gets hired or, or, or maybe you start to, to get a little bit older and all of a sudden they think that they might need somebody younger or, 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 or maybe like, hey, hey, COVID comes, this little virus happens, what's the thing? One little thing and all it takes and the whole thing falls down. Just a little bit of a jar and it falls down and your whole life comes crashing down. If you build your life on your job and just something subtle happens, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm not this anymore. I'm not this title anymore. What am I gonna do? We're not gonna make, right? And your mind goes crazy. You are, this is what happens when you build your life on your work. But what Solomon is trying to tell us is that there's another way. He's saying there's a completely other way. He says, what would happen if you started to build your life with something more substantial? Like, what if you actually built your life on what God says? Like, what if, what if, you, what if you decided to say, you know what, I, I want to build my life on the, on the rock of Jesus. Like, what if I wanted to actually do that so that my life mattered a little bit more, that it was more than just what my boss told me? But what if the, the king of the universe said that I was this, that what, what would happen? And you know what happens is the same things happen. Same that The younger guy gets hired, you start to age out, COVID happens, all this stuff happens, or maybe, heaven forbid, you get sick and things like that, because the same thing happens, but you know what? That thing doesn't move. It doesn't matter what you do because that foundation is still there, right? It doesn't matter because the foundation is there. And so Solomon is saying, what would happen if instead of building your life on this stuff, like what would happen if you build it on him, on God? Like how different would that be? How, how much peace would you have going to work knowing that the job that I do doesn't define who I am? How much peace would you have with that? Because you know he's not going anywhere. And he loves you. Deeply, deeply, deeply loves you. And he proves that time and time again. Guys, we just need to know that our jobs are but a vapor. It's a vapor. They come and they go. If we think of ourselves too highly, place too much weight into what we do, when it comes crashing down to the ground, we're not going to know where we're at. We're gonna, we have no idea. It, it all goes away. But again, I'll say it again. Work was meant for you, not to define you. Not to define you. What would it be like if we went into the office tomorrow with this? What would it be like if we got in the car for our drive to work like this? How much different would that feel? How much weight would be lifted off? Solomon tells us how powerful this can be. If you look in verse 24, he says, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering, 
storing up wealth, and hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless. Chasing after the wind. The question that we have to ask ourselves is what foundation do we want? What do we really want? Because I guarantee, and I've experienced this too, I've experienced that life. And now I know that life. And I'll tell you, 10 times out of 10, I will take that over that any day. Even if this thing gets higher and in the world's eyes, it looks so much beauty, so beautiful, and you've got this and this and this, I'm telling you, I'll take that lower to the ground than that any day. Because I know that is solid. And that defines me, not that. So, as we come to this time of communion, a bit of worship, we want to give you a bit of me time. Each week, we want to give you some time to think about how you and your meaning are connected. So I want to give you one question to think about during worship to kind of wrestle with. And it's this question. How are you letting your work define who you are instead of listening to who God says you are? Who are you letting, how are you letting your work define who you are instead of listening to who God says you are? And as you wrestle with that, if you would be brave enough to be able to actually ask that question of God, I believe he will. He'll speak to you, he'll talk to you, and he'll give you a peace that surpasses understanding because he knows that his son Jesus died for you, gave his life for you, loves you, and wants to know you intimately so that your life can have that instead of that. As we take time in communion to do that, I pray that you would wrestle with this question and that God would speak to you and give you his peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the wise words of Solomon. I thank you, Father, that he he had it all, but yet even he could see it doesn't matter. It all fell apart. God, we just pray right now that we would be wise enough to learn from the wise. And that if he says the only foundation that matters is you, then we might build our life on that. This isn't about quitting our job. It's not about looking for other work. Father, what it is, is it's about looking to you and then looking to where you have us right now and giving our life to you for that. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. So Father, I pray for my friends as they wrestle with this me time question. I pray that as we sing, as we worship, the words of this song would penetrate our souls and we would believe them. And God, I pray that as we prepare our hearts for communion to remember the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus, that we remember it is all about you. It's always about you. And I pray that right now. Be with us, Father. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.